Welcome once again to the Guildhall School Events Podcast. Today we're talking all things opera, ahead of our first production of the term, Vorjak's The Cunning Peasant, which opens in the Silk Street Theatre on the 3rd of November. Today I'm joined by director Stephen Medcalf and student performers Alison Langer, who plays the Duchess, Lawrence Thackeray, who plays Joseph, and Emma Kerr as Victoria. I'm going to start with Stephen, okay. um, as you're the director. Um, why did you choose this opera in particular? It's stunning music. Um, it's a very uh, approachable plot and story and a lot of fun, um, as well as combining with a lot of uh, lyricism. And it's also, partly I think, because it's very rarely done, which also, I think, uh, attracts um, me- uh, members of the profession more than uh, members of the public, for example. Um, I would say I know perfectly well as somebody who's quite often invited to go and see pieces that when somebody says, oh, we're doing Rorjak's The Cunning Peasant, and they think, oh, that's interesting, I've never seen that. And they're more tempted to come out and see the students, uh, which is what it's all about in the end, than they are if you say, oh, we're doing La Boheme. Oh, God, not another La Boheme. I don't <laughs> think... You know, of course, it's not often that students get to do La Boheme because there aren't usually their voices haven't necessarily developed to that point of doing that piece. Also, I think if you choose a piece that's less well known, it means that the singers, uh, the sorry, the profession or the agents and the, all the companies who are listening to them, students, are not judging them on, in comparison to anything else. They're listening to their singing freshly in a new role, and I think it's mu- it's quite favourable. Whereas if you've if you're listening to somebody sing a countess, and you've got all these recordings with Rennie Fleming and so on, it's not particularly kind to the student uh, with the best way in the world. Whereas if you're hearing something new like this, you really are hearing them in a role that they've probably never heard before, and I think that's a great advantage. It's uh, it was originally written in Czech, but this is a uh, sung in English, uh, in a translation by. Dominic's predecessor, Clive, Clive Timms. Yeah. Um, any reason why it's, it's chosen to to be sung in English rather than, than Czech? A lot of it's to do with the fact that it's a comedy, and mm. a, a lot of the experience of playing comedy is to uh, to feel the audience response. And I think for as singers, you won't get much response to a, an opera that's sung in Czech when mm. it's so much in, uh, of the text is very important to get. And therefore, part of the practice of doing comedy is to have that response. It's just different things, isn't it? I mean, there's lots of nuances in the English that I think the audience will pick up on much more easily, the comic things, as Stephen's saying, than if it was in Czech. And you just get another level of advancing the comedy. And it's fairly intricate plot at times as well, which is quite integral for the audience to really follow step by step. And again, you know, just... Uh, with them being in their mother tongue language it, it just makes it a bit easier for them to follow all the way through. And also we sing so much and are trained so much to sing in foreign languages that actually it's quite easy to forget how to sing in English <laughs> and how to put all the ends of words and phrases as well it's just as important in your own language than in a foreign language. Yeah I mean um, I mean, my Czech's quite rusty these days um, <laughs> but uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm much more familiar with, with German or French or Italian, something that I can I can read. The core languages are French, Italian, German and English. But actually what I would say about doing this in English for us, not just for the audience, but as a performer, everything is much more immediate. So our reactions are, are, are faster in our, in our mother tongue. And actually we do have so much language training in French, Italian, German. In the first year, we have that experience. When it comes to doing this show, actually, I find that the fact that it is in English, not just for the audience, but... For, for myself, yeah. when I'm listening to everyone, actually when I'm forming my own thoughts. 
we do do bits and bobs in Czech and Russian yeah. as well. I did a scene in Czech for in my in my first year, for example. But there is a big difference between doing a ten minute scene in Czech with two characters or a full-scale opera, 40 in the chorus, 10 principal roles, all covers in Czech. And it's not that it's not been done before. They did uh, they did a Tchaikovsky piece here a few years ago, I think, which they did in Russian. So there is the coaching and the facilities to do it, yeah. but I think they just decided on this occasion that English was the best way yeah. to go. Okay. It really is a choice, and there are advantages in both ways. I do think that Ali's made a very good point that, you know, we hope that a lot of these students will go on and sing for English National Opera, for example. And some of them, as straight out of college, might go to English touring opera. And both those companies sing a great deal in English, if not entirely in English. And singing in English, it's a hard language to sing in. And so actually, to, to learn how to sing English so clearly enough for an audience to really understand it is a huge part of the job. Mm. So, why, why do you say that? Why, why is it a hard language to sing in? You tell, you tell me. Well, <laughs> you tell him, guys. For example, my normal accent is, is quite dull accent. I mean, it's a fantastic accent. I must say. But, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's not, uh, it doesn't lend itself to, say, an Italian, uh, you know, a stereotypical Italian accent is quite forward and it's quite bright. Uh, the Mancunian accent is not. And you want bright sounds, for, certainly for tenors and for most singers. The brighter the accent, the more helpful and closer it is to singing as a rule of thumb. Uh, so actually singing in English, I kind of have to rewire the way I speak all the time every day. Then coming and singing in English, it's actually quite a different thing. From, it's a departure from Mancunian Lawrence mm-hmm. to Lawrence singing English on stage. Um, th- this, um, this version of The Cunning Peasant, it's not set in Czechoslovakia, it's set in Dorset. Because we're singing in English, I wanted to find a parallel world that would be more familiar to our audience than a kind of bohemia in mid-19th century. So I've taken the decision to translate the action into a kind of Thomas Hardy territory, into Wessex, and all the characters have been christened with uh, new names, which are based on the original names in terms of the number of syllables and so on, but which are very Thomas Hardy. So Petushka becomes Bathsheba, and uh, Yenik becomes Joseph, and so on. And we have a Gabriel and a Reuben and and a Victoria. We have, in fact, classic Thomas Hardy names all the way through. And I've tried to create a kind of Hardy-esque atmosphere. Most importantly, because I wanted the audience to respond to it not just as a comedy, but as a rather elegiac and lyrical love story. And I think it needs... The piece has a a serious undertone, a darker quality. And I think by giving it this kind of... setting in this kind of world, it stopped it being kind of too generalised folksy, and you know, I didn't want to do all the national dress of, of Czechoslovakia and you know all the polkas and all that stuff, which is can become, unless it's done very well, can become rather cliched. But to give it an atmosphere that that I felt would would work with the music and with the text, but which is something also a lot of our audience will, in some way or another, have much closer connection with. Hopefully, because most of if we haven't read Thomas Hardy, we've probably seen him on the BBC or in films and so on. We've heard that the set is quite sort of. Um Tim Burton-esque um, that's how somebody described to me earlier um, and you mentioned that there was some dark uh, undertones to yeah. the opera um, is that what you uh, tried to bring out a little bit in, in the set design uh, with the designer? Absolutely um, it has got that Tim Burton quality and that is very deliberate so that it can have these the darker moments can seem a little strange and surreal but also, uh, in other moments, it works for comedy. But it has a kind of fantasy. It's not too realistic. It has a kind of fantasy um, element, which I hope, because with Thomas Hardy, it's 
Uh, it's very real, but at the same time, it's set in a fictional world, a fantasy world, and we can recognise Dorset, but actually it's Wessex. And although the characters behave in ways that are very recognisable, there is also the fantasy element. And more importantly, we've done a lot of work in terms of character. But what we found at yeah. the core is there is a very real love it's not even a love triangle, it's a love square. Quadrangle, yeah. <laughs> uh, which is very, very real. And actually, the, the main protagonist, Bathsheba, has some very real uh, choices and difficult choices to make. And she's being pulled in lots of different directions by lots of people that she cares about and by people that she doesn't care about as well. And it, it's been really interesting and important to find the real truth and strength of that story with the comic elements and the, and the dancing and everything around that but at the core of it Stephen's found something which really is very uh, passionate and important and truthful so so this is a story of a uh, a girl who um, falls in love with the, the poor man and is supposed to marry somebody rich so so who's who's playing the the girl who's supposed to love the rich man well that's Alison Rose and okay. Laura Ruvidal they're sharing that part together and they are in love with Joseph, who's played by Lawrence. Yeah, and, and often you have these stories in opera and sometimes in Slavic operas as well, where, you know, there is the poor man who she's very much in love with and her father wants to marry off to the rich man, which is, you know, a, a part of this plot. But what's important in this is Stephen and I talked a lot and my character Joseph, the poor man, is uh, he's not a perfect human being. He has his faults as well. And often we think in these stereotypical stories that the poor man is the great human being and just because he's not got money, he has everything else in life and he's a wonderful, wonderfully rounded person. Not at all in this case. This, this character has his faults, as does everyone. And I think that's a really important thing about making this accessible. This whole piece is all the characters are very three-dimensional. We're not saying that anyone is a perfect human being and anyone is a shining beacon of light and how humanity should be far from it everyone has their faults and everyone has the things that are attractive about them and uh, again that's another thing that's been very interesting about trying to play which decision she's going to make and why and how and yeah i think yeah and at the core as stephen said what really helped put us at ease well certainly for me was this thomas hardy idea it's such a big thing in hardy it's actually lawrence is obviously talking about the male side, but um, <laughs> the, um, is this Hardy idea of the plight of the heroine. It was something when I was younger, actually, I was, loved Thomas Hardy, and you know, that it runs through all of, all of his literature, and, and absolutely in this, I think that is what is at the core is Bathsheba's difficulty with the choices, and she actually doesn't really know, she knows what she wants, but she's also tempted by the other options by the money yeah exactly yeah, we all are. Yeah. Um, Emma what, what role do you play I play Victoria is um, sort of in, in this production she's the housekeeper of uh, Gabriel who is Bathsheba's father she gets all the women together and sets up lots of little um, okay. meetings and um, you know you could say she was a cunning peasant Mm. Uh, because she's Gabriel's housekeeper, she is got a quite. She's almost the confidant. She is the confidant of Bathsheba, his daughter. Uh, clearly, there was a mother on the scene who's moved out of, the, you know, died or it's not made clear. Um, and so she becomes Bathsheba's confidant, and she actually is the one telling Bathsheba all the time to follow her heart, not to follow the money. So in a sense, she's she's almost the, she's probably the most sympathetic character actually because she follows that line pretty consistently. 
um, and you f you feel all the other characters vacillating and struggling. I mean, the, the biggest character, the bigger characters. I think in general, all the women come over as much more sympathetic than, than the men, which I have to say I think is a hardy quality, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and um, you know, Victoria, but Victoria is kind of at the centre, both controlling the plot and always saying to Bathsheba, "Remember, follow your heart." Ignore the money. What a great message that is. Yeah. Now, Alison, is your message uh, as good as that? Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, I play the Duchess whose husband, the Duke, is a very naughty man and has often has his eye on other women. So we've arrived at this, this place and um, he, I've, I've caught on to the fact that he's attracted to Bathsheba and Victoria helps me to come up with the plan to to foil him um but it's again it's the it's this underlying t dark quality because even though at the end well i'm not going to give it away but there is that, there <laughs> don't is, you dare I give it away, I they, you need that, to come and see the <laughs> you need to come and see, see, to what, see happens. what happens but she she again it, you know i think has this underlying of my husband will always be this way and, and to, to play that in the sort of space and the amount of time that she has is actually quite difficult but with the things that Stephen's given us to do it's again it's just it's the the women have that you know that thing upon them you know they are a terrifically talented lot and they they take have taken the idea and really made it their own and all of them bring a, a great deal of dimension to characters which could otherwise be Really, even even if I suggest the ideas, it needs people to embody them and to really run with it, and to, you know to express with their voices and of course their whole acting personalities to to find the depth in these characters. I can't I can't do that for them, and I must say I think they've done a terrific job as a whole cast. So really worth coming just to see the performances. Also, you were resident producer here at the school. I was for a long time. Ago. For a long yes. time. Ages. Uh, <laughs> I tried to keep it a secret. Yeah. Probably when we were still in short shorts. But, yes, um, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. But, I started you've in 1992. You've been coming back um, to, to, do, yeah. to do things here. I, because I, I love working with students and um, I love also like working near home because of most of my career since I left here has been in Italy. Students give you us kind of freshness and kind of they re-enthuse they re you with love of the art form because of their, they're so fresh and they're not coming with, you know, when you work in Italy a lot, you're just so used to the, the divas that arrive and unfortunately they meet the cliches. <laughs> they do, they arrive with their performance quite often because they've come in having done 25 Aidas or, you know, different productions and it's therefore a much harder process to negotiate your way around and finding anything new in it because they tend, I mean, to be fair, the best artists, of course, will always be open. But there are a lot of slightly not quite so good ones who will come on and, and just give their performance. How, how closely do you work with Dominic? Uh, very closely, actually. It's a kind of double act because Dominic has got a, a lot of attention to detail. He's very, uh, very hot on the text. He's also very ready to say to me if he thinks a bit isn't working dramatically. And I'm quite entitled to you know, talk to him about Tempe and other aspects musically. So I think it's a very good collaboration. Um, and that's how it should be. Unfortunately, it isn't often enough. You know, I often find myself in a situation where, you know, Marzell flies in and conducts a dress rehearsal. You know, I, you know, on a classic occasion when he flew in, conducted a dress rehearsal with Aida for me, uh, having not rehearsed it at all, and he came off the plane. He's eighty something, seventy-eight. Came off the plane. He was absolutely exhausted and conducted the ballet at about half the speed that it needed to be, <laughs> and it completely collapsed. The whole, literally, it just fell apart. And I was hauled up in front of the management, and you know, could I say, well, actually, Maestro Marzel, wonderful though he is, conducted at half the speed. You know, so 
the, the, the true collaboration with the conductor is something really important and doesn't happen often enough. And j- just going to the, the students now, yeah. um, do, you, do you feel that, the, the sort of magic between, uh, between Stephen and, and Dominic? Not sure magic is <laughs> quite <laughs> right. <laughs> 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 exaggerating. I think, <laughs> I think <laughs> sorry, no. Um, you say what you like. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, just going on what you it's nice it's, for us, actually, having that sort of close collaboration, we always know that we're taken care of from both points of view so the fact that they're working so closely to make sure that what we're doing is coming across in exactly the right way and all the time it means that if we're uncomfortable with something it's it's always going to be picked up by either Stephen or Dominic. And there's so much to be said for everyone pulling in the same direction Mm. which sounds like an obvious thing to say and it is but and every time I've done everything here at the Guildhall it's always been that way but out there you know outside of these this building it doesn't always work like that as Stephen alluded to and uh, it, it is a very important thing even though it's a very obvious thing. Well, um, I think we're going to have to wrap it up um, now, but thank you to all of our guests today um, for coming in, and I really look forward to seeing it. It opens on the 3rd of November in the Silk Street Theatre, so thanks very much, guys. Thank you. Thank you. You can buy tickets to The Cunning Peasant at Barbican Box Office or online at gsmd.ac.uk.